Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. President Biden hosted Singapore's Prime Minister at the White House today. We'll unpack their plans on Russia and the supply chain, as well as maintaining peace in the Indo-Pacific. The Chinese Communist Party is working to destabilize that area with military and economic coercion. Russia is repositioning its troops away from Kyiv. A U.S. official says be prepared to watch a major offensive against other parts of Ukraine. The Florida governor is again suing the Biden administration, this time alongside 20 other states. The joint lawsuit challenges the federal mask mandate for public transport, which some Florida officials are calling unscientific and unconstitutional. Republican Congressman Matt Gates enters data from Hunter Biden's laptop into the congressional record. This would archive business deals and other illicit data said to be on the hard drive. A group of congressional Democrats is asking Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas to recuse himself from cases involving January 6th. This has to do with his wife's position on the 2020 presidential election. At the White House today, President Biden hosted Singapore's Prime Minister. Biden assured him that the crisis in Europe won't distract his administration's focus on the Indo-Pacific region, an area where a genocide in Burma continues and where China is working to expand its influence. NTD's Melina Weiskup has the details. President Biden welcomed Prime Minister Li Xianlong into the Oval Office, the two leaders seeking to deepen their partnership and commitment to what they call a rules-based international order. It's as close and as strong as it's ever been. The two condemned Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but Biden assured Long that the Indo-Pacific will still be a priority for the administration. Both countries continue to call for an end to violence against civilians in Myanmar and the release of all political detainees. As for the Indo-Pacific, the two countries aim to expand cooperation on trade, supply chains, clean energy, and more. And Singapore's Prime Minister wants the U.S. to deepen its Asia-Pacific relationships. China certainly, but also other countries besides China, and deepen it substantially. President Biden says the region is a free and open area. It's a free and open area that we want to make sure is, we want to maintain it that way. Over the past decade, China has built up its military posture in the Indo-Pacific region, and Beijing has claimed territory over most of the South China Sea. That includes ensuring that all nations in the region, including China, uphold the principles that enable a free and open region. But China only came up in their announcements very briefly. Singapore has a long-standing relationship with China. And this meeting comes at a time when President Biden is shaping his foreign policy around countering China. His secretary of state has called China the biggest geopolitical threat of this century. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Russia promises to scale down military operations around Kyiv, but the United States warns the threat isn't over. According to Pentagon spokesman John Kirby, Russia has moved some of its military forces away from the Ukrainian capital, but that's not the full picture. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. The rapid advance to Kyiv in the initial days of the war showed very clearly for all of us that Kyiv and the capital city was a key objective for the Russians. 
Russia is promising to scale down military operations around Kyiv, but Pentagon spokesperson John Kirby says do not be fooled by Russia's claim. Has there been some movement by some Russian units away from Kyiv uh, in the last day or so? Yeah, we think so, small numbers. But we believe that this is a repositioning, not a real withdrawal. Kirby says this does not mean that the threat to Kyiv is over and we should be prepared to watch a major offensive against other areas of Ukraine. He said Russia has failed in its objective of capturing the capital, but it can still inflict massive brutality on the country. Kirby said the Russian forces have moved northward. We believe, we assess, uh, that it is likely more repositioning to be used elsewhere in Ukraine. Uh, where exactly, we don't know. I would just note that the Russians themselves have said in the same breath they're saying they're, they're withdrawing, that they're, that they're reprioritizing the Donbass area in eastern Ukraine. While U.S. authorities say Russia hasn't achieved many of its operational goals, the Russian defense minister sees it differently. The main objectives of the first phase of the operation have largely been achieved. Combat potential of the Ukrainian armed forces has been substantially degraded thus allowing us to focus our main attention and main efforts on achieving the primary goal of liberating Donbas. Elsewhere, however, Ukrainian forces have made advances, recapturing territory from Russian troops on the outskirts of Kyiv, in the northeast and in the south. Jason Perry, NTD News. As Russian forces continue to encounter staunch resistance from Ukrainian soldiers, Russia has increasingly focused on grinding down Ukraine's military in the east. They hope to force Kyiv to surrender parts of the country's territory, and defeating Ukrainian forces in the Donbas region could effectively split the country in two. According to a military analyst, the big losses and slow pace of the Russian offensive might be what's forcing Putin to pursue a different approach. NTD's Joy Duguid brings us this report. Aspirations for a quick Russian victory have been dashed by a stiff Ukrainian resistance. Russia has increasingly focused on grinding down Ukraine's military in the east in the hope of forcing Kiev into surrendering part of the country's territory and possibly ending the war. Observers say the shift in strategy reflects an acknowledgement by President Vladimir Putin that his plan for a blitz in Ukraine has failed. What we see now is the uh, probable recognition by the military leadership in the Kremlin and maybe even by Putin himself that the operation is definitely not going according to plan. Military analyst Mateo Buleg says it's likely that tactically and operationally Russia cannot achieve more in terms of military gains than they've already done. But if Russia succeeds in encircling and destroying the Ukrainian forces in the country's Donbas region, it could potentially attempt to split the country in two. A senior U.S. defense official on Monday said Russian forces largely remain in defensive positions in the area of Ukraine's capital, Kiev, whereas little forward progress is made elsewhere in the country. Putin and his generals haven't revealed specific military goals or a planned timeline. The big losses and slow pace of the Russian offensive could be a factor that forces Putin to lower his ambitions and take a more realistic approach. Uleg warns there is also the possibility of increased Russian aggression, 
can't exclude by, because because of frustration, because of extreme irritation, and because of the sort of absolute willingness of the of the Kremlin not to give in to any inch of territory to to Ukraine or to come at the negotiation table in the best way possible, they won't start pummeling and destroying Ukrainian cities more than they've done. He added that although Mariupol was in bad shape, they haven't used all that they could be using and all that they have in store. Joy Dugid, NTD News. President Joe Biden on Tuesday signed into law a bill that makes lynching a federal hate crime. This is after Congress approved the legislation earlier this month with overwhelming bipartisan support. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. President Joe Biden signed the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act of 2022 into law Tuesday. I just signed into law the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act, making lynching a federal hate crime for the first time in American history. The act is named after a 14-year-old African-American boy from Mississippi who was brutally murdered by a group of white men for allegedly whistling at a white woman in 1955. His murder sparked national outrage and was a catalyst for the emerging civil rights movement. The legislation was introduced in the House of Representatives by Representative Bobby Rush of Illinois, and only three Republicans voted against the bill. The Senate passed the bill unanimously on March 7th. Under the bill, offenders can be prosecuted if they conspire or attempt to commit a hate crime, including kidnapping and aggravated sexual abuse that causes someone's death or serious bodily injury. The offender can be sentenced to up to 30 years. Previously, the maximum sentence was 10 years. The president and vice president, Kamala Harris, both delivered remarks on the new law from the Rose Garden at the White House. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. As many criticize Russia for its invasion of Ukraine, Senator Marco Rubio says the real threat is the Chinese Communist Party. He spoke at the Heritage Foundation and said America's dependence on the CCP is a threat to national security. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. Think about all the things that we depend on China and its manufacturing capacity to provide. Imagine being cut off from it. Senator Mark Rubio says the Chinese Communist Party, or the CCP, is the United States' greatest threat. For over two decades, China methodically undermined our economic strength by stealing our critical technology, our manufacturing capacity, our jobs. We did nothing while they destroyed our social cohesion by luring away those jobs and as a result, hollowing out once vibrant cities and communities. And he said the CCP has infiltrated every segment of American society, including government, business, academia and entertainment, while they flood our streets with fentanyl. Rubio said he had a bill that would have prevented goods made by slave labor in China from being imported to America, but he blamed American companies for lobbying against it. We can no longer afford to allow public policy towards China to be held hostage by leftist radicalism, by lack of corporate patriotism, because China is no longer hiding its strength and biding its time. With the CCP's growing influence over the global market and supply lines, Rubio said if we did get into a conflict with China, they could cut America off from many things, including the rare earth minerals needed to power America's weapon systems. Rubio said to prevent that, the United States needs to increase its own industrial capacity, especially in critical industries like semiconductors and pharmaceuticals. Jason Perry, NTD News. 
Florida is leading a multi-state lawsuit against the Biden administration. 21 states are suing over the mask mandate for public transportation, which extends to planes, buses, trains and Uber rides. Florida's attorney general argues the mandate is outside the scope of federal power. NTD's Grace Coulter has the story. Florida is joining forces with 20 other states to sue the Biden administration over its public transportation mask mandate. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and Attorney General Ashley Moody announced the lawsuit Tuesday. They called the mandate unlawful and unscientific. If you have somebody sitting in the window seat and they're nibbling on peanuts for two and a half hours, they can have their mask down. You have the person in the middle seat uh, that is not eating. If they just wanted to read a magazine without the mask, then somehow that would be a big problem. The lawsuit comes days after the top executives of 10 major U.S. airlines issued a joint letter to the president urging him to lift federal mask mandates on flights. They said it makes no sense that people are still required to wear masks on airplanes, yet are allowed to congregate in other crowded spaces, despite none of these venues having the protective air filtration system that aircraft do. DeSantis says the mandate could be deterring people from traveling. He and Moody also argue that it's caused frustration for both passengers and airline staff. Watching mothers, exasperated fathers, trying to control their young children, it has caused so much confusion, so much chaos, so much pressure on the employees. And as you know, the airlines themselves have demanded that the administration take a look at that and consider what they're forcing on them to do. She pointed to the increase in unruly passenger situations. In 2021, the Federal Aviation Administration reported roughly 6,000 unruly passenger cases. Over 4,200 of those involved face masks. Earlier this month, the mask requirement was extended for another four weeks. And while the mandate is set to expire next month, the lawsuit seeks to end the requirement once and for all, so restrictions can't be reimposed in the future. Grace Coulter, NTD News. Today, the Florida governor also vetoed a new redistricting map approved by the Republican-controlled legislature. He said lawmakers followed the Florida Constitution but failed to comply with the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. He therefore called the map unconstitutional, saying it assigns voters primarily on the basis of race. DeSantis is calling lawmakers back into a special session in April to draw a new map. And in Maryland, the state legislature has one more day to redraw its congressional district map. That's after a state court judge rejected the map on Friday for what he calls extreme partisan gerrymandering. And an expert says challenges to redistricting maps are on the rise across the country. NTD's Arlene Richards has the story. For years, Maryland Democrat voters have outnumbered Republicans two to one. In December, two Republican organizations challenged the congressional district map drawn by the predominantly Democrat legislature. A Maryland state court judge rejected the new map, ruling that it benefited Democrats, leaving Republican voters in the cold. The court ordered the legislature to redraw the map by March 30th. Every 10 years, states are required to redraw district lines to align with the latest U.S. Census population count. This practice is called redistricting. Eric Cardall, an elections expert and special counsel at the Thomas More Society, says it's called gerrymandering when a map is drawn to favor one political party. How does gerrymandering affect elections? Well, gerrymandering can affect elections because if the lines are drawn in such a way to favor 
one party over the other party, uh, then you can end up influencing election results. For example, let's say uh, we're talking about Maryland, a district in Maryland is, is drawn to maximize the number of Democrats who, who are elected, then you might have a district that's gerrymandered, like odd shape, just including all the Republicans. Because basically, once you get past, you know, 50 percent of the votes, then those are wasted votes. I asked if there was an increase in challenges to redistricting compared to previous years. Yeah, I think what's happened is that the the left has decided to lawyer up. They've, they've done this in the past in other areas, like environmental law, you know, education administration, and now they're into election administration. So Perkins Coie was a, and Mark Elias were sort of groundbreakers in this regard. And they, they basically looked for ways to raise millions and tens of millions of dollars to invest in litigation to give Democrats an advantage. Cardall says that both parties are becoming more aggressive than in past years with gerrymandering. He says the Maryland case happens to be in a state with a Democratic majority, but Republicans also draw partisan maps in states where they are the majority. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. Two dozen Democrats on Capitol Hill are asking Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas to recuse himself from cases related to the January 6th Capitol breach. They said this is due to his wife's position on the 2020 presidential election. Here are the details. 24 Democrats in the House and the Senate sent a letter to Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas on Monday, calling on him to recuse himself from cases related to the 2020 election and the January 6th Capitol breach. This comes in response to recent reports about his wife, Virginia Thomas. Text messages show that she urged former President Trump's White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, to try to overturn the results of the 2020 election. It is my hope that it will be explored by the Judiciary Committee in terms of its areas of jurisdiction related to ethical conduct by Supreme Court justices, uh, because no one is above the law. Thomas was the only justice to vote against allowing the House January 6th committee to obtain Trump-era White House records. The Democrats are asking Thomas to issue a written explanation of his failure to recuse himself in prior cases challenging the 2020 election or involving the Capitol breach. I can tell you it's a matter of concern, but it is going to be a concern taken up after the Easter recess. Uh, the, the issues that have been raised by the news stories uh, are not uh, so timely that they have to be decided in the next few days. And Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wants more extreme measures taken against Thomas. She says he should resign or face impeachment. Republicans are pushing back and defending the justice. The House January 6th committee has voted unanimously to hold two former Trump advisors, Peter Navarro and Dan Scavino, in contempt of Congress. The committee says both men are refusing to comply with subpoenas. The full House will vote on the charges and the Democratic majority is likely to approve. The Justice Department has the final say on prosecution. And data from Hunter Biden's laptop has now been entered into the congressional record. Republican Congressman Matt Gates requested the move during a hearing of the House Judiciary Committee earlier today. And after a consultation with majority staff, I seek unanimous consent to enter into the record of this committee content from, files from, and copies from the Hunter Biden laptop. Without objection. Thank you. Yield back. This comes after Gates questioned Brian Vordren, the assistant director of the FBI's cyber division, about the laptop. 
Vornderen says that he doesn't know where the laptop is and that investigations into the laptop are not his responsibility. The FBI seized the laptop from a repair shop in Delaware in December 2019. The contents of the laptop went public during the 2020 presidential campaign. Business deals, pornographic images and illicit data are said to be on the hard drive. And up next, Democrats in de different states are trying to roll back bail reform laws. We asked an expert if there is a connection to upcoming elections. And the NFL has a new hiring requirement for women and minorities. What are fans saying about it? That and more coming up on NTD News. Democrats in multiple states are advocating for tough-on-crime policies and changes to bail reform laws. That's as elections are approaching and violent crime may be a major issue for voters. NTD's Arian Pazdar has the details. Bail reform is a trend seen in states across the nation. Usually those reforms aim to reduce the number of jailed people who can't afford to pay bail. Supporters of bail reform say that people with money can pay and are being let go while poor people stay in jail. Democrats in New York, New Jersey and New Mexico are pushing for tough on crime bills that would make it easier to hold suspects on bail. That's as voters in these areas are increasingly worried about crime. Voters are actually sick and tired of the politics that are being played. Nicholas Giordano is a professor of political science. He says politicians have to do something about crime ahead of the election. Do you think they're only pushing for these tough-on-crime bills because elections are coming up? The Democrats certainly are trying to change the narrative when it comes to crime, and they realize that the rising crime is a losing issue in an election year. People don't like the levels of crime they're seeing, and it's directly related to the policies that the Democrats have pushed out there. Some voters do still think, however, that bail reforms are good and necessary in order to achieve equity. So is there a middle ground? When it comes to bail, if you have first-time nonviolent offenders, there's no need to put high bail prices uh, where they remain in prison until they plea bargain whatever case it is down, and they're going to be released anyway. He added that some people from both parties didn't agree with old bail laws, but many reforms went to the other extreme. This year's midterms will be held on November 8th. In the House, all 435 seats will be contested. In the Senate, only 35 out of the 100 seats will be contested. Ariane Pastar, NTD News, New York. A major highway in Pennsylvania was shut down Monday after a crash resulted in a massive pileup involving at least 50 vehicles. NTD's Chenny Wu gives us the update. out-of-control cars and narrow escapes in a massive pileup on Interstate 81. Eyewitness video shows a man stepping out of his car mere seconds before his car is sent flying. Officials blame a snow squall for the accident, which left at least three dead and 24 in the hospital, saying snow squalls can turn your visibility to zero in a matter of seconds. Several tractor trailers were involved and some vehicles caught on fire. As of Monday evening, the Schuylkill County coroner said the search of the scene wasn't completed because of burning vehicles. More than two dozen fire departments were working on the scene in Schuylkill County. 
Authorities used buses to transport uninjured motorists involved in the accident to a reception center. As of Tuesday afternoon, the northbound lanes of I-81 are still closed. Chenny Wu, NTD News. Walmart plans to stop selling tobacco products at some of its stores in the U.S. A spokesperson for the world's largest retailer says it made the decision after looking into tobacco sales. Walmart did not say how many stores will stop stocking the products. According to the Wall Street Journal, the company is removing cigarettes from stores in various markets, including some locations in California, Florida, Arkansas and New Mexico. The journal reports the stores will replace cigarettes with other products, like food or candy, and more self-checkout registers. Moving on to sports news, the NFL has adopted a new hiring rule designed to create more advancements to opportunities for minorities and women. On the offensive side of the ball, NTD's Dave Martin has more. Beginning this season, all 32 teams must employ a woman or a minority to be an offensive assistant coach. The rule is aimed at getting more minorities into head coaching positions. Lately, many teams have been hiring those with an offensive-minded background as head coach. But is this rule a good thing? We asked fans to weigh in, and the results were mixed. Uh, I'm all for it. As long as uh, they're qualified, I think they should definitely be, you know, accepted into that role. Kind of, but you can't just hire a minority or a woman just on basis of them being a minority or a woman because you have other people who are qualified too. So I don't think that would be completely fair to everyone. I guess, I don't know, it's, uh, as long as they're qualified, you know, and they know the game, I, I, I guess uh, it would be all right, you know. If you don't just take in a woman or a minority doesn't really know the sport, it's not going to help anything, I don't think. But uh, as long as people are qualified, why not, yeah? The NFL currently has five minority head coaches. Meanwhile, the league has been named in a lawsuit filed by former Dolphins head coach Brian Flores, who alleges racial discrimination. Flores, who is black, led the Dolphins to back-to-back -back winning seasons before being let go after last season. Dave Martin, NTD News, New York. NBA free agent Ennis Freedom is at it again. Some believe he lost his basketball job by speaking out about human rights issues, and now the six-foot, ten-inch activist is showing his support for the people of Ukraine. NTD's Dave Martin has more. Ennis Freedom spoke as a panelist at a Stand with Ukraine event Monday in New York City. He summed up his rationale for standing up against all human rights abuses. I remember the first time I started to uh, talk about, you know, some of the big dictatorships out there like Russia and China and, and many other ones, many of my teammates told me to you know, just of my colleagues or some of my athletes, friends, I just focus on Turkey because that's where my family is. But I think people need to understand it's just there are families uh, in every country. Security and economic policy expert Roger W. Robinson Jr. joined Freedom on the panel. He was formerly a senior director at the National Security Council. Robinson says that not enough has been done about publicly traded stocks of Russian companies that were sanctioned by the U.S. for Russia's 2014 invasion. He points out that those stocks are still somewhat hidden in passive investment vehicles, such as exchange-traded funds. Where are they? I'll tell you where they are. They're in the portfolios of 150 million unwitting American investors. To today. 
Robinson says we're too worried about American investors losing money and also questions Chinese companies trading in our markets. Look at China. Slave labor, Uyghur genocide, the surveillance state, concentration camps, the equipping of same. Freedom famously used his NBA basketball shoes to raise awareness about the human rights abuses in China. The former NBA player said he wore the shoes because of how much kids like to emulate their heroes on the basketball court, despite what it ultimately cost him. Unfortunately, the NBA really did not like that because it was bringing so much awareness. Uh, and organ harvesting was uh, one of the topics. But, you know, I, like I said, I wanted to do it to inspire these young generations. Despite losing his basketball job for his outspokenness on human rights issues across the globe, and his freedom continues to speak out while holding out hope of an NBA future. Dave Martin, NTD News, New York. Coming up, Senator Elizabeth Warren praises President Biden's new billionaire tax. You'll want to hear what she said about Elon Musk. And in the face of one of California's severest droughts, the state's governor is pushing for stricter water restrictions. That and more here on NTD News. Congress will soon debate the president's new tax proposal. But Senator Elizabeth Warren is ahead of the pack. This morning, she reiterated that billionaires need to pay their fair share. NTD's Arlene Richards has more. On Tuesday morning, Senator Elizabeth Warren and CNBC's Joe Kernan talked about President Biden's billionaire tax, with Elon Musk as a specific example. He'll pay $11 billion in taxes last year, and yet you've said he needs to stop freeloading off the rest of us. I'm happy to celebrate success. But let's remember, Elon Musk didn't make it on his own. He got huge investments from the government, from taxpayers. Warren says that people who make it to the very top need to pay their fair share. Under Biden's proposal, anyone with a net worth over $100 million needs to pay at least 20% of their income. According to ProPublica, America's 25 richest people paid $13.6 billion in federal income taxes from 2014 to 2018. But in that same period of time, their wealth rose by $401 billion. 13.6 is only 3.4% of 401 billion. A lot of that wealth increase involves unrealized gains, which Biden wants to tax. In other words, they're trying to tax the increase in value of an investment, even when you haven't sold it. They say, hey, you, you have a, a, a mansion. The mansion went up in value a million dollars. We should tax you on that uh, too. That's unearned income. Michael Bussler is a professor of finance at Stockton University. Bussler says it's hard to estimate the value of something that hasn't been sold yet. There's a lot of uncertainty and volatility. They're trying just to redistribute those dollars and leave less money in the productive private sector. That's where growth happens. That's where more job creation happens. And that's what we need more, more of. Vance Ginn is the chief economist of the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Ginn says raising taxes, especially on unrealized gains, will disincentivize people from investing, which hurts economic growth. Arlene Richards, NTD News. 
over to the West Coast. As California faces its ongoing drought, Governor Gavin Newsom on Monday signed an executive order pushing for more water conservation efforts from Californians. The cutbacks focus on cities and local water districts, which provide most of the water for California's 40 million people. Newsom's order directs the State Water Resources Control Board to consider requiring local water suppliers to move to step two of their conservation plans. Level two typically restricts when people can use water for outdoor purposes, such as in areas like parks and cemeteries. Residents are also required to turn off decorative water features like fountains. The governor also called for a ban on the watering of grass outside of industrial and commercial buildings. For Sacramento homeowners, some watering restrictions have already been in place since early this month. A map from the U.S. Drought Monitor shows that nearly all of California is under severe or extreme drought. A California congressman is planning to introduce a bill on Wednesday to offer gas rebates to everyone in the country, similar to pandemic stimulus checks. The plan echoes local California proposals to offer rebates to drivers in the state. NTD's David Lamb has the story. California Congressional Representative Josh Harder will introduce a gas rebate bill this week, similar to locally proposed state legislation, according to Fox's Inside California Politics. The Putting Gas Money Back in Your Pocket Act proposes to help American drivers deal with high gas prices through a $500 relief check. Individuals would get $500 each, plus an additional $500 for dependents 16 and older. The plan is set to roll out on Wednesday. Fox reported that the funds will be distributed in a similar way to pandemic stimulus checks. The bill reflects Governor Gavin Newsom's rebate plan, which would give registered California drivers $400 per vehicle. Californians would receive at most two debit cards if they own two or more vehicles. Harder has previously called for lower gas prices and encouraged Governor Newsom to suspend the state's 51-cent gas tax. A California Republican-backed bill for gas tax suspension was recently gutted during a Democratic majority hearing. David Lamb, Entity News, California. Investigators seized about 35 stolen vehicles in Southern California. The vehicles were luxury cars estimated to be worth over a combined $2 million. More from NTD's David Lamb. The California Highway Patrol Southern Division concluded a two-month-long vehicle theft investigation. In an announcement on March 2022, Investigators recovered approximately 35 stolen luxury vehicles. Car makes include Aston Martin, Bentley, BMW, Jaguar, Land Rover, Lexus, Mercedes-Benz, and Porsche. The CHP stated the vehicles were fraudulently purchased from unsuspecting local dealerships. The total value of the cars are estimated at $2.3 million. The CHP Special Services Vehicle Theft Unit used a search warrant in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles. According to the Associated Press, authorities said a 39-year-old man was taken into custody, but he's been released on bond. Investigators also seized a firearm and discovered an indoor marijuana operation with over 400 plants. The CHP Southern Division Vehicle Theft Unit says its mission is to investigate, arrest, and prosecute criminals responsible for motor vehicle theft. This investigation is ongoing. David Lamb, Entity News, California. 
A dramatic scene unfolded on live television as firefighters rescued two people and a dog from the swift-moving waters of the Los Angeles River. Their relentless dedication paid off nearly two hours later as everyone was hoisted to safety. Let's see how the events unfolded. We hear more from NTD's Cynthia Kai. On Monday afternoon, the Los Angeles City Fire Department responded to reports of a woman and her dog in the L.A. River. Heavy downpour earlier in the day transformed the riverbed from dry concrete into a swift-moving river. After firefighters spotted the victim, they secured a rope system and went over the edge to get the stranded woman with a flotation ring. The woman, concerned about her German Shepherd mix, abandoned the ring and was swept downstream. LAFD air operations safely captured the woman, bringing her to firefighters on the ground. She was later transported to the hospital for minor injuries. Meanwhile, numerous people flocked to the fence of the river to witness the events unfold. One bystander, a 28-year-old male, entered the water to rescue the dog. Firefighters say the desire to help is understandable, but this type of action is extremely dangerous. The man was able to grab the dog, but the dog then broke away. LAFD was able to hoist the man out of the river. Further downstream, the dog, now able to walk in the shallow water, made it to where the swift water rescue team was waiting for him. The SMART team evaluated and took control of the dog for reunification with its owner. LAFD firefighters say 6 inches of fast-moving water can sweep a person off their feet, and 12 inches can move most cars off a road. Firefighters remind people that it is imperative bystanders do not intervene, putting more lives at risk. Coming up, lockdowns could be costing China billions of dollars per week. But that hasn't stopped Shanghai from entering a third day of lockdown. And with oligarchs and kleptocrats in the spotlight, journalist Oliver Bullo tells us why Britain is the money laundering capital of the world. That and more in just a moment here on NTD News. Lockdowns enforced as part of Beijing's zero-COVID policy could be costing China billions of dollars. Shanghai, for example, is entering its third day of lockdowns. A new study estimates that it could cost the city over $10 billion for every week that it's locked down. NTD's Don Ma has more. A new study is providing some insight on the toll that lockdowns have on China's economy. The study is by economic experts from prestigious universities, including Princeton University, Tsinghua University, and the Chinese University of Hong Kong. The study calculates that if four of China's largest cities went into full lockdown for a month, it would cost China 12% of its monthly GDP. This amount is calculated by analyzing disruptions in economic activity, specifically by looking at interruptions to freight truck movement between cities. The study found that a month of lockdowns reduces truck movement between cities by more than 50 percent. This is important because the study points out that city-level free truck movement correlates strongly to city-level GDP. 12 percent of China's monthly GDP is equivalent to $180 billion. This cost would have a big impact on China's economy. 
there's a general slowing of the economy. I believe this last quarter was one of the slowest economic growths ever in China. And this is what happens when, when, you, when you lock down the economy. China's lockdowns are a product of the country's zero COVID policy. This policy aims to eliminate all virus cases in China. Professor of Economics Anthony Davies says the cost of China's pandemic policies could rise even higher going forward. You have to understand there's a trade-off here. The, the fewer cases we get, the more expensive it becomes to reduce them further. And at some point you realize that we're actually losing lives due to the uh, lockdown policies in greater numbers than we're losing them due to COVID. The study found that if all of China were to go under lockdown for a month, it would cost the country over $9 trillion. Don Ma, NTD News. In China's fourth largest city, Shenzhen, a man was found dead at home during lockdown. Nobody found out about his death until his neighbor smelled something was wrong. Officials are refusing to explain how he died. NTD talked to one of his neighbors to find out more. After a prolonged lockdown in South China's Shenzhen city, a resident reportedly died at home this month. Some say the man died of hunger, but there is no official explanation yet. Chinese NTD interviewed a local resident and confirmed the death. She lives in the building next to the one where the man lived. To protect her identity, we distorted her voice and kept her anonymous. The deceased is our neighbor. He's young. He's in his 30s. Some say he's 37. We know where he lives, but don't know how he died. Many say he died due to the lockdown, but the community refused to explain how he died. She says she saw pandemic control staff going in and taking away the body. That night, we just finished dinner. Then we saw people in white protection suits coming in with a stretcher and taking the body away. They prohibited anyone from getting outside. When they carried the body out, they had to pass through our area. They covered the stretcher so that we couldn't see the man inside. As to how they found out about the man's death, community authorities say they want to check upon the man's relative's request. But the neighbor says otherwise. People living next door to him say it's them that reported the death to the community because the body stinks and they could smell it. The local resident says it's still uncertain how the man died. She says even though there is not a single positive case in the area, the lockdown still lasted for almost a month. And food deliveries during this time were scarce, far from enough to feed a family. What's worse, she says, is that people could not go to work during lockdown and earn a living. At the same time, prices have been soaring. She says some people couldn't bear it anymore. There's someone trying to commit suicide. It's my next door neighbor. This person wanted to jump off the building. But fortunately, people inside the room managed to drag the person inside and prevented the tragedy. Since the invasion of Ukraine, a lot of people have turned their attention to oligarchs, particularly Russian oligarchs in the UK, as the West places wide-ranging sanctions on Moscow. Investigative journalist Oliver Bullough says oligarchs from all over the globe are stashing their cash in Britain, the world's money laundering capital. Here's NTD's Jane Werrell with this report. Um, with regard to the underground in his station, latest book, it, it, Oliver Bullough investigates the role Britain plays in helping the shady international super-rich to launder their money. 
The publishing date is timely for Below, as the world's attention turns to corrupt money linked to Russia. Yeah, I mean, at the moment we're talking a lot about Russian oligarchs because of the crisis in Ukraine, and Russian oligarchs have done very well in London. They've put a lot of their wealth here, they've bought houses here, they've listed their companies here and so on. Um, but really, you know, Britain isn't butler to the Russians, it's butler to the world. So um, all oligarchs, essentially, have become welcomed here, whether those are Chinese oligarchs, coming here to buy property or, or moving or, or moving money around or um, Angolans, Malaysians, Nigerians, Egyptians, Kazakhs, Ukrainians, everyone is, is, is welcome here. So at the moment there is a reckoning about the damage caused by the, by the Russian money, but, but really what we need is a reckoning, the damage caused by all the money. Um, because this money is often, not always, but often stolen from people who desperately need it by people who really don't need it. And they're stashing it here and we're essentially providing them a safe deposit box to keep stolen money. And that is clearly a morally dubious way of making a living. He says that Wall Street is more regulated than the City of London. So is the UK government doing enough? The government at least is doing something. It's not nothing, which is good. Um, we can congratulate them for that. But we need much, much more. You know, the Economic Crime Act isn't really an Economic Crime Act, it's a Transparency Act. There is supposed to be an Economic Crime Bill coming up in May, and we're going to need to keep an eye on what that contains. But even if it's a brilliant law, even if it's the best law ever passed, which is unlikely, but even if it were, it still needs to be enforced. And the problem is that the British government has historically been really bad at giving the right amount of money to law enforcement agencies to investigate and prosecute financial crime. That's the core of the problem. Despite this, at a press conference in central London, he says he remains an optimist. I did a, um, I, I, I regularly quote this, but I did a, um, a talk at a school a few years ago, and one of the children said at the end, um, if you know all this about money laundering, why don't you just go and do it? Um, and, <laughs> and I've thought about it at length, and I suppose it's because I'm an optimist, and I hope that, that there will become a time when no one launders money. Um, so I suppose I'm an optimist, and I hope there will come a time when Britain stops being a butler, mm -hmm. and whether, you know, uh, you know, whatever the circumstances are. I hope that's still the case. Jane Werrell, NTD News, London. Facing the biggest refugee wave since World War II, EU members want to better coordinate the sheltering of refugees. But unlike in previous crises, the EU says there won't be fixed quotas to fairly distribute refugees, but instead a system based on solidarity. We've got more from NTD's Earl Rhodes. The EU Commission announced a new system to register refugees on a block-wide level. The plan includes tools to improve the distribution of Ukrainians across member states. This plan is about to create a, 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 an EU platform for registration for all those that arrive and those that apply for temporary uh, protection. An EU-level coordination for transport and information hubs in different member states to make sure that we help refugees to go further on to other uh, member states. It comes as 3.8 million refugees from Ukraine have entered the EU so far. According to the UN, it's Europe's biggest refugee crisis since the end of World War II. Most have arrived in Poland, which says it has welcomed 2.3 million people. Ukraine's other EU neighbours, Romania, Slovakia and Hungary, have also seen high arrivals of Ukrainian refugees, the vast majority of whom are women and children. Based on population size, besides Poland, Austria and the Czech Republic are under the biggest pressures. 
We now have about 300,000 refugees from Ukraine, and Czechia has about 10 million inhabitants today. So the wave is really very big, and we have to expect that it is still not over. So now, of course, we also count on some solidarity from other countries of the EU. He warns his country was running out of appropriate reception sites. Some countries, like Germany, call for a binding distribution within the bloc. But the EU Commission insists there won't be a quota. We are not working on any quotas or any uh, distribution of migrants uh, towards some, some specific quotas. This is voluntarily where member states step in and say we can do more. And they are doing that right now. During the 2015-16 crisis, quotas became a fiercely contested policy and led to divisions within the EU. Some ministers call for measures to be put in place to reduce the risk of human trafficking or sexual exploitation. Um, but I think what's really important now as well is that we acknowledge the risks uh, with such a mass movement of people, risks around human trafficking, child exploitation, but also criminality. The EU says some 50,000 Ukrainians are now arriving daily in the EU, down from as many as 100,000 earlier on. But there's no knowing how many more may come. Earl Rhodes, NTD News. Coming up, residents and visitors in Tokyo are enjoying cherry blossom season. Many say it's a sight for sore eyes after a long year of pandemic restrictions. Stay tuned for more after the break. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, CEO of MyPillow. Retailers, shopping channels, and now even banks have tried to cancel myself and MyPillow. During these times, your support has meant everything to us. So my employees and I want to personally thank each and every one of you by passing the savings directly on to you. We're selling the best products ever for the best prices ever. For example, we have my towels with proprietary technology, which makes them soft and absorbent. Towels that work, what a concept. They're made with USA cotton and come in a variety of awesome colors. My six-piece towel set is regularly $109.99, now just $39.99 with your promo code. So go to MyPillow.com now and use the promo code on your screen or call the 1-800 number below to receive this exclusive offer. If you do it right now, I'm going to include a free gift with your purchase. Thank you and God bless. Cherry blossom flowers are starting to appear in Tokyo this week, heralding the arrival of spring. As pandemic restrictions have recently eased across the country, people are returning to the city's parks. Let's take a look. Awakening from winter and beginning to bloom, the pale pink flower of the cherry blossom has long been cherished by the Japanese for its beauty. Residents in Tokyo are visiting the city's parks to enjoy the arrival of spring under the blossoms. Chidori Gafuchi by the Imperial Palace is one of the famous cherry blossom viewing points in Tokyo. I wanted to visit here for a long time, but I had to refrain myself from going out as COVID-19 semi-emergency measures have been issued. I wanted to come here for sure this year, so I'm really happy now. I feel like life has finally gotten back to normal. 
Here in the city area, people have awaited this for so long. Pandemic restrictions were fully lifted across the country on March 21. Cities that operate parks well known for cherry blossom viewing are welcoming visitors this year, but are urging people to be cautious. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.